Thanks, Naomi. It's good to be with you this morning. As you may or may not be aware, one of the most frequent commands in the Bible is fear not or be not afraid. It's generally the second most um, frequent command right after praise the Lord. But uh, fear generally is a bad thing. We're encouraged, don't fear people, don't fear circumstances, rather trust in God, let him take care of you. You find that throughout the Bible. And so when you also find repeated over and over again, fear of the Lord, or the fear of the Lord is urged upon you, it might be a bit confusing. You might wonder, which is it? Are we to fear or not fear? And so it's challenging to discern exactly what's meant by the fear of the Lord. And over the years, perhaps like you, I've had many conversations about the fear of the Lord. And typically when the topic comes up, the thing we want to answer, the question we want answered is, okay, exactly what type of fear are we talking about here, right? And one person will say, well, obviously we're not supposed to be terrified of God, right? Check. Another person will say, maybe it's more reverential fear. Maybe it's respect or this awe of God. And yet another person might quote 1 John 4.18, which says, perfect love casts out fear. I've heard some people suggest that the fear of the Lord is not even appropriate for those who experienced the deep, deep love of Jesus. Well, as I've, as I've studied this and I've pondered this, I've become convinced that asking the question, what type of fear are we talking about, is not really the best way to get at the fear of the Lord. One thing that helped me was, was uh, Bruce uh, Waltke's commentary on the book of, of Proverbs, and he points out that the expression, the fear of the Lord, it's, it's a collocation or an idiom. And when you have an idiom, you, don't, you, you understand it as an expression as opposed to analyzing each of the individual words. And he gives the example of butterfly. And so if you want to understand a butterfly, you don't analyze butter and fly. You have to take it together. In the same way, if you want to understand the fear of the Lord, you don't analyze fear and the Lord independent of one another. And so I'm going to advocate that we keep this expression, this idiom intact. And we look at all these different scriptures that talk about the fear of the Lord and draw our our conclusions accordingly. And what we find in Scripture is that the fear of the Lord means very different things in different contexts. It's always the fear of the Lord. And the Lord, whenever you see L-O-R-D in all caps in your English Bible, it's talking about Yahweh. That's another way, of, that's, that's what they use for Yahweh, the, the God of Israel. So it's always talking about fearing the God of Israel, but the fear we're talking about is different for different people, depending on your relationship to God. And so we're going to look at, at three different categories of people fearing or not fearing the Lord. And we're going to discuss these different categories. And the first two categories involve people that do not yet know God. They're not in, yet in a relationship with God through Jesus. The third category is that of delighting in the fear of the Lord. And so there are, there's a category of people who find it healthy and life-giving and even delightful to fear the Lord. And that third way of, of fearing the Lord is commanded and urged and modeled throughout the Bible, and we'll spend most of our time on that. 
I should say that this is going to be a topical sermon. Normally, here on Sunday mornings, if you've been with us, we take one passage of Scripture and we seek to understand the meaning and then the significance of that. Since the the fear of the Lord is such a vast, wide-ranging topic, literally from Genesis to Revelation, we're going to be looking at a lot of different Scriptures. And so um, don't feel like you need to write them all down. There will be a number of quotations. Uh, We put the manuscript of the sermon on the website on Monday morning, so you'll be able to get that there, find that. You can review it and and, uh, look up the scriptures and the references there. But let's consider these. We also have an outline in your bulletin there. First, some people fear God's punishment or God's judgment. A number of scripture speak of the enemies of God having this, this dread or this being terrified of the Lord. They fear his punishment. One example is in 2 Chronicles 17, 17.10. We're told that after God gave victory to Judah, which was the southern kingdom, that the kingdoms around Judah had this fear of the Lord. And this is what we read in 2 Chronicles 17.10. And the fear of the Lord fell upon all the kingdoms of the lands that were around Judah, and they made no war against Jehoshaphat. And so they understood God, the surrounding kingdoms understood God's track record. They understood that Israel was now walking with God, and they were terrified of what God might do to them if they went to battle against Israel. And so they just stayed home because of the fear of the Lord. This is the fear of the Lord made them want to run away from God. So this would be like a high school football team that's going to play the Kansas City Chiefs. They would have this, this dread, this, this fear, because there's like a 0% chance of winning, right? That's what the nations around Israel felt. That's what Pharaoh felt after the 10 plagues. That's what the enemies of God actually should experience, because it's a terrifying thing to be alienated from your God and from your Creator, The good news is this is the type of fear that evaporates when you become God's friend. And so 1 John 4.18 is talking about that. If you believe that, that God loved you so much that he gave his unique son to die for your sins, if you experience that love so deeply, it will push out any fear of God, fear of God's punishment. And so now you no longer need to be afraid of what God will do for you, do to you because of your sin. Here's 1 John 4:18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For love has to do with punishment, and whoever, whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And so if you have experienced the perfect love of God so deeply, you've accepted his death on the cross as payment for your sin, then this this terror, this fear of God's punishment evaporates because you're now his friend. There's still a healthy fear of the Lord that we'll talk about in a few minutes, but you no longer are afraid of God. That's the first category, fear of God's punishment. The second category, some people have no fear of God. And we see this in a number of scriptures. In, in Romans 3, as uh, one prominent place, Paul is arguing that all people and all categories of people are in need of the same thing. Forgiveness of sin, reconciliation with God, new life in Christ. 
And he quotes a series of, of Old Testament passages that reflect this truth that all people need forgiveness, not just some people. And he finishes by quoting Psalm 36.1, where he says, which says that there is no fear of God before their eyes. In other words, these are people who could care less what God thinks about their lives. And so they aren't afraid of God's punishment. They say and do whatever they want to do. Um, uh, and so there's no fear of God before their eyes, healthy or terror. And so numerous scriptures in the Old Testament warn that that's a very foolish way to live your life. If God actually exists, then that's a foolish way to live your life. Much better, Proverbs 9.10 tells us, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's like the foundational thing. If you want wisdom, we'll, we'll begin talking about this next week. But fearing God is like the foundational building block. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. And so since this healthy fear of the Lord is foundational for wisdom, when a person thinks, I'm my own master, I can do whatever I want, I know what's best for me, Scripture would say that's a very, a very foolish way to live your life. I think it's hard to improve on what Dallas Willard said, his comment in Renovation of the Heart. He said this, one begins to get smart. One begins to get smart when he or she fears being crosswise with God. Fear of not doing what he wants and not being what he requires. Then he says this, I think it's very insightful. He says, fear is the anticipation of harm. The intelligent person recognizes that his or her well-being lies in being in harmony with God and with what God is doing in the, ki in the kingdom. God is not mean, but he is dangerous. Did you catch that? He's not mean, but he is dangerous. It is the same with other great forces he has placed in reality. Electricity, nuclear power, for example, are not mean, but they are dangerous. And so one does not, in a certain sense, one who does not, in a certain sense, worry about God simply is not smart. And so no analogy is perfect, right? God is not an impersonal force like electricity, but the analogy holds. It's just like it would be just not very smart to be careless around electricity. You're not very smart if you don't care what God thinks about your life. Because he's our creator, we're all accountable to him. Every single one of us, we're accountable to him for what we believe and therefore how we live our lives. This discussion leads to the third option. There are actually some people who delight in the fear of the Lord. Delight in the fear of the Lord. I don't know if, you, don't know if you've ever really thought about this category. I hadn't until I started studying this. <clears throat> but the idea that some people gladly, wholeheartedly, joyfully fear the Lord is, is kind of a, a groundbreaking idea. And so the idea is that if you align yourself with God so, so wholeheartedly, uh, and you want more than anything else to, to experience God as he really is, according to what's revealed in Scripture, then you can delight in the fear of the Lord. On a heart level, you want to please and experience God as fully as possible. 
There are two times at least in the, New, in the Old Testament that talk about delighting in the fear of the Lord. I'll talk about one now and one later. The first is found in Nehemiah chapter 1. Uh, Nehemiah was, uh, he, he was in exile in Babylon, and he was heartbroken because he found out that those who had returned from exile to Jerusalem had not been able to rebuild the wall. He just thought it was a, a tragedy that that had not happened yet. And so he decided to do a very dangerous thing. He decided to appeal to the king, appeal to be able to go back to Jerusalem and lead this effort to rebuild the walls. And so before he goes to the king, he prays. And I want us to notice how he described himself and the others around him when he prayed to God. Toward the end of the prayer, in Nehemiah 1.11, he says this, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, the king. Now I was the cupbearer to the king. And so he was expressing to God that he and the others who were praying were praying from a heart that was fully devoted to him. They, they understood that he's their creator, he's their master, He's their redeemer. And so he said, we're your servants. We are committed to serving you. And everybody serves somebody, right? You're going to serve yourself or somebody else. He said, we serve you. And he said, we are your servants who delight to fear your name, which means we delight to fear you. It brought them great joy to align their lives with God and what he was doing. And for us, there should be joy in fearing the Lord. It should never be this grudging thing, well, he's God, I guess I should fear him because I'm supposed to. No, there should be this eagerness, this joy to fear the Lord. And one, one last quote, I think this, this uh, scholar named Tremper, Tremper Long, Longman, I think he captured the essence of this uh, when he, he's commenting on Proverbs 9, 10, which says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom He said, this fear is not the fear that makes us run, but it is the fear that makes us pay attention and listen. And so it's not the type of fear that makes us run away from God. It's the type of fear that makes us run to God and pay attention and learn from him everything we need to know. It makes us humble. It makes us... uh, Uh, humble as opposed to proud, being wise in our own eyes, as Proverbs says over and over. The fear of the Lord inevitably leads to obedience. And so the key idea here is that if we understand God as he truly is, so we're not believing some caricature of God that's floating around out there. We understand him as he truly is. We will be drawn to him. Now, why is that? Why would we possibly be drawn to God? Well, because he is the most beautiful, intelligent, compassionate, just being in the entire universe. If we see him who he really is, how can we not be drawn to him? And it's not just that he is is all those things. It also turns out that he is radically for us in Christ Jesus. He promised that on the cross. And so the last thing we want to do is offend him, disrespect him. Rather, we want to experience him as fully as possible. And so we delight in the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord produces all sorts 
of amazing fruit. The fear of the Lord makes us humble because if you fear God, you're going to acknowledge readily, God, you are superior to me in every way. The fear of the Lord makes us teachable. If you fear God, you'll just admit flat out, God, you understand how I, you understand things that I just don't have a clue about. And so I want to learn from you. The fear of the Lord makes us obedient. It makes us want to be obedient because deep down we know that he knows how better how to live, how we should live our lives than what we think. And so if you fear the Lord, you're not passionate about following a set of rules. You are passionate about God himself. And you are passionate about doing his will and living a life that pleases him. And the fear of the Lord makes us worshipers because we understand that he is supremely worthy of our praise. So how does that sound to you? Are you in? Do you want that? Well, you might want it, but you might be thinking, I don't really know if that could ever really describe me. We all know some people who seem to delight in God and everything about God. It just seems too good to be true. They love God. They love God's word. They love God's ways. They want other people to love God the way they do. But you might be thinking about yourself, you know, I think for me, I'm just going to have to fake it. I might look like I I delight in in the fear of the Lord, but I'm not sure it's ever a reality for me. Well, I want to share two scriptures that should fill you with anticipation and hope and make you conclude that if you're a believer in Christ, this delighting in the fear of the Lord is actually your birthright. It is something God wants to give you. It is something he's committed to giving you. The first one is a promise. Uh, It's actually promised in Jeremiah 32. If you enter into a relationship with God through the new covenant in his blood, he's describing the, uh, the new covenant that would eventually come. It would replace the old covenant. In Jeremiah 32, beginning in verse 38, God says, And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way, that they may fear me forever. Notice this. For their own good and the good of their children after them. There is great blessing in fearing the Lord. If you're rightly related to God, there is great blessing in your life. He continues, And I will make with them an everlasting covenant. That's the new covenant in Christ's blood. And I will not turn away from doing good to them. And get this. And I will put the fear of, the, of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. And so God is on record in this new covenant. God is committed to putting the fear of him in you. And it's the fear of him that makes you keep coming toward him as opposed to running away from him. And so again, we all know people. We all know people who have who have who have had uh, some type of relationship with God, but eventually end up walking away or running away from Him. He's saying, if you have this fear of the Lord, this delight and delightful fear of the Lord, that will never happen. And this is something God wants to do in our lives. Second, this healthy fear of the Lord is actually embodied in Jesus Himself. 
In the passage that Naomi read earlier in Isaiah 11, uh, the Messiah is being described, and the Messiah is the one who would rescue us from our sins. He would eventually, he would sit on the throne forever. And uh, the New Testament identifies this Messiah, of course, as Jesus himself. I want us to, to read in Isaiah 11, verses 2 and 3. We read that, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, verse 3, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. That word delight, it has a connotation of fragrance. The idea is that the fear of the Lord is a pleasing aroma to this promised Messiah. Fearing God was his, was his delight. There was nothing grudging about the way he feared God. He delighted. He would delight in the fear of the Lord. And of course, the fear of the Lord looks different for Jesus than it does for us because he was in no way inferior to God his Father, right? And yet we see all these basic components of the fear of the Lord in his life as well. And so Jesus was supremely humble. Philippians 2 actually tells us he was humble from eternity past. It's his humility that prompted him to set aside his heavenly prerogatives and become one of us. And being one of us, it was his humility that prompted him to go to, to, to give up his life to the point of death, even death on the cross. So he was humble. And in a very unique sense, Jesus was also teachable. Hebrews 5.8 tells us that although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Jesus was obedient to his Father in heaven. In John 4.34, he said, My food is to do the will of my Father in heaven. And so if you read the, if you read the Gospels, you will see that Jesus delighted in the fear of the Lord. And if you are his disciple, please know that he wants to teach you how you can delight in the fear of the Lord also. Jesus modeled and taught the fear of the Lord in beautiful ways. And so this means that us delighting in the fear of the Lord is not only a viable option, it is the will of God. It is our birthright in the new covenant. And so we're going to return to this topic, the fear of the Lord, uh, throughout the fall. Next week, we start the sermon series we've entitled Becoming Wise. And one of the things we're going to see in the wisdom literature, especially in Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job, is that the fear of the Lord is front and center. Proverbs says, do you want to be wise? Fear the Lord. Ecclesiastes says, do you, want, do you want to be able to live and thrive even though there's so many frustrations and ambiguities, so much disappointment in this life? Fear the Lord. The book of Job says, do you want to, know how to, do you want to learn how to suffer well? Fear the Lord. And so we'll come back to the fear of the Lord over and over again. In some ways, this message is a preview of what we're going to be talking about throughout the fall. This past week, I found myself in a situation 
it made me very anxious, and uh, I'm going to be vague with you about this, but it made me very anxious. And when I get anxious, I often become self-centered, self-focused, often become overwhelmed, um, I get in this place where I've just got to muscle this, I've just got to fix this situation. And uh, as I, I found these emotions and these thoughts uh, welling up within me, the thought occurred to me, question occurred to me, what does the fear of the Lord have to do with my anxiety right now? In other words, what, what instead of being self-focused, what if I were God-focused? Uh, what if I actually practiced what I'm about to preach next Sunday? You know, what would that look like? Is there anything here for me? Well, uh, maybe, the thought came to me, maybe in the midst of my anxiety, I should be humble and teachable. I should seek obedience, and I should be worshipful. So I decided to try it on. Here's a little bit of my experience. The first thing I did is just stopped. I took some time to worship God. And we get this from Job. If you read, read the early chapters of Job, after Job's life was blown apart by this unspeakable loss he experienced, he fell to the ground and he worshiped God. That was his gut response. He said, uh, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So I spent some time worshiping. I spent some time just rehearsing some of the things that are mine in Christ Jesus. Even though I'm feeling anxious, God is good. Even though I have these troubles, these things that trouble me, God is radically for me. He proved that at the cross. I can tell you, that reframed the way I think about my anxiety. It didn't quite look so big. It looks small compared to the enormity of God's love for me. So I spent some time in worship. I tried to humble myself before God. I admitted to him some things I needed to admit to him. I just readily acknowledged that my weaknesses, God, I'm so clueless, I'm so weak, I'm so fickle in different ways. This is not self-condemnation, by the way. I think, I think I'm an amazing person, generally speaking. But I admit these things to God. You humble yourself before God. And I went to Scripture to remind myself of some of the teachings and the commands that related specifically to the thing that brought me anxiety. And as I spent uh, just a brief amount of time rehearsing these Scriptures, I was just reminded how good and right and pure and wise that they are. And God gave me this, this welled up within me, this desire to obey these Scriptures. And so... I simply prayed, God, would you help me? Will you give me help? Will you give me mercy? Will you give me the grace that I need? And so what happened? Well, God didn't answer my prayer in exactly the way I wanted him to. I wanted something immediate. You know, I wanted immediate relief. But I can tell you without a, without a doubt that God answered my prayer in his timing, in his way, and he reminded me that the fear of the Lord, convinced me that the fear of the Lord, delighting in the fear of the Lord, not grudgingly fearing the Lord, delighting in the fear of the Lord brings great blessing. It really does. And it also occurs to me that you and I typically, or probably this week, we're going to experience something that is troubling, something that might prompt anxiety within you. And when that happens, how are you going to respond? What's your instinct response? Is your gut response going to be to turn inward 
become self-focused, self-absorbed? Are you going to entertain these thoughts that well up within you? Is that going to be the focus of your mind? Are you going to set your mind on those things? You know, there is another option. The other option we've been talking about is to delight in that moment, in that space, in the fear of the Lord. How do you do that? Well, you humble yourself before God. You worship. You, you become teachable. You seek to be obedient. You want to be obedient. You invite God to give you this desire for obedience. You delight in the fear of the Lord. See where he takes you. So I would encourage you this week, uh, with me, when you find yourself stressed, anxious, troubled, delight in the fear of the Lord. If we delight in the fear of the Lord in the tough times, Delighting in the fear of the Lord the rest of the time will be all that more sweet. Well, Lord, we, we ask that you would teach us this. We're told that we can learn the fear of the Lord. We're told that we can choose the fear of the Lord by your help. And so this week, as we walk through our days, we pray that you would keep this on our mind. God, you are a great God, and you deserve you deserve people who delight in you in every way. And God, we can't predict what we're going to face this week, but we want to face it with you. God, when we're prompted to or tempted to run away from you, uh, arrest us, stop us, stop us in our tracks, and remind us that you're good and we can run to you, come home time after time after time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.